sheet for those who will be interested in being a part of the ladies' ministry team. So when you sign up for the, the Bible study, please keep that in mind too, uh, how God can use you in that uh, way as well. Well, we're in the book of Hebrews. We're in the book of Hebrews. Just please turn there, Hebrews chapter 12. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29. We're going to be concluding chapter 12 of Hebrews. And when we get into chapter 13, uh, you'll notice that it's more um, uh, encouragement, um, encouraging these Christians along uh, the path of God's way. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. But before we do, let's bow in prayer. And we want to remember in a very special way the people on the Gulf Coast who in just a few hours, in fact, already are experiencing uh, this terrible hurricane that um, is going to affect so many lives. So let's just bring them before the Lord in prayer as well. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, your goodness. Uh, we thank you for your sovereignty. We know that you're a God who knows all things and you're a God who does reign as we just sang. We do lift up, Lord, the people of, of New Orleans and Louisiana and those on the Gulf Coast. We pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you would bring your protection upon them. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this hurricane would not uh, take lives, Lord, and we just uh, lift that up to you. And we just pray for your people in that area that they might uh, come and, and be a source of ministry to those who are uh, going to be so affected by this hurricane. And, Lord, we just lift them up. We do pray, Lord, for those who all around us are sick, and we know that our, our um, prayer list is full of those who are suffering with COVID and other sicknesses. Lord, we just pray for your healing hand. Um, I just want to say a, just a kind of a selfish prayer for my son who will be preaching for the first time this morning. Uh, at this very moment, and just pray that you would encourage him as well. We pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, that we would just be uh, doers of your word, that we would hear and do what your word proclaims. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Okay, I want you to stand with me in the reading of God's word. As I read this portion of God's word, please stand as we read God's word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice. Those words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches uh, the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, a terrifying, uh, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly uh, Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we neglect him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For God is a consuming fire. You may be seated. Let me just begin by by saying, how many of you like going to the mountains? Just raise your hand. Yeah, I, I, I knew that we had a lot of mountain lovers out there. But you know, I must admit, you know, I'm like Billy Murray. I'm I'm kind of a beach bum. You know. I've always, always loved the beach, you know, but, you know, in the fall of the year, you know, nothing is better than to go up to the smoky mountains in the fall and witness the beauty of God's creation. That is so beautiful as well. Well, when we talk about mountains, you know, our passage today centers around two great mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. The author of Hebrews draws a stark contrast between these two mountains. Mount Sinai is the place where the law was given to the children of Israel in the Ten Commandments. Mount Zion is the city of Jerusalem. It's the place where grace was given in its fullest, where Jesus died and and rose again. And it is also the name of our heavenly home, New Jerusalem. Now, let's look at this great contrast, okay, that um, the author of Hebrews draws here. First, beginning with Mount Sinai. Now, let's look at verses 18 through 21 once again. For you have not come, notice, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the heaven made the heroes beg that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said i tremble with fear the author of hebrews wants us to know that as believers in jesus christ we have not come to mount sinai We have not come to Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, we have this awful description of what it was like when the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai. Now, you you know the story. They left Egypt, and now they have come to Mount Sinai to hear from God. Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 18. This is a description of what they experienced that day. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kill, and the whole mountain trembled. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, 
Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, the picture before us is of the millions of Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai. Millions of the children of Israel. What a terrifying sight that must have been for them. There was a barrier. There was a fence to separate the people from the very presence of God. The people could not cross that barrier. If they did, they would be put to death. And we even read that even if a beast touched that mountain, it would be stoned. The people were required to wash their clothes and to restrain from sexual relations. There was fireworks. I call it divine fireworks. Thundering, lightning, darkness. There was the sound of a trumpet that did not come from man. And if it didn't come from man, we know that it came from God. There was smoke and a great shaking. The people were called to meet God, and God spoke to them from the mountain and gave them what we know as the Ten Commandments. It was an earth-shaking experience. And to understand how terrible it was, I want you to listen again to the reaction of the people in verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers notice begged that no further messages be spoken to them. To put it plainly, they were terrified and they begged for it all to stop. Even Moses was terrified at this experience. Look at verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This great man of God, this great leader of God says, I'm terrified at what I'm witnessing. Now you would think that after that terrifying experience, every Israelite would have obeyed God from that time on. But they didn't. We know that they didn't because only weeks later, the children of Israel were bowing down to a golden calf and saying, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. This is the God who led us out of Egypt. Just like that, they turned from the true and the living God to idolatry. Now, there's an important lesson that I believe we can learn here. Fear will not motivate you to obey God. And to live a holy life. Fear will not motivate you. Cause you. To obey God and to live a holy life. Only love for God will do that. Only love for God will do that. Jesus put it this way. If you love me. Notice that. If you love me. You will keep my commandments. Let's see. The true motivation is is love. It's it's all about love. If you love Jesus, you will gather with God's people on Sunday. You will want to be in church. You will want to study God's word in Sunday school. You will want to be here. You will not want to be any other place. This is where you will want to be if you really love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you will give generously to God's word. You will be a tither if you really love Jesus. You will give generously to God's word. If you love Jesus, you will serve God in and through the local church. 
You will not have to be begged to serve God. You will want to serve God. Now, I know that we all have our own gifts and abilities, and and I would be the last one to want you to do something that God did not lead you to do, but you would find some service if you love Jesus. You will serve him. If you love Jesus, you will be a witness for Christ by your life. And by your words, if you love Jesus, you will spend time in God's word and prayer. You will meet with God daily if you love Jesus. It's all about loving Jesus. It's all about falling in love with him. It's all about that. If you love Jesus, you will do these things. But fear will not lead to a lasting change of life. It will not. Oh, it might lead to a temporary change but it will not lead to a lasting change of life. This experience, as terrible as it was, as fearful as it was, didn't change their lives. That's Mount Sinai. That's Mount Sinai. Now let's look at Mount Zion. Coming to Mount Zion will change your life. It will. It will change your life. Look at verses 22 uh, through 24, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly or the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous, the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. After painting this terrible picture of Mount Sinai, he paints this different picture, this this beautiful, this glorious picture of Mount Zion. And the author of Hebrews is saying, as believers in Jesus, we don't live our lives on Mount Sinai, but we have come to Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is the earthly city of Jerusalem where Jesus died on the cross and and rose again. And as believers, we have all come to Jesus. As believers, we have all put our faith and our trust in, in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We have believed in his death and his resurrection. Now our earthly home, now our eternal home, excuse me, is heavenly Zion, New Jerusalem. And that's our destiny. You know, folks, there's only two destinies. There's only two destinies. Either you're headed to hell is spend eternity separated from God. That's one destiny. Are you headed to heaven to spend eternity with God? Only two destinies. Okay. Which is your destiny? Yeah. Where are you headed? We're all headed somewhere. Well, we need to be headed to Mount Zion. That's where we need to be headed. In this passage, God gives us one of the greatest descriptions of our heavenly home. And I want us to just kind of park here just for a minute and just look at these wonderful descriptions that we, that we see about our heavenly home. First, we have, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay. 
As Christians, our heavenly home is New Jerusalem. This is the place that Jesus has gone already to prepare for us. In fact, I believe that that place has already been prepared for us by Jesus. Jesus told his disciples just before his betrayal and death in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, we know that that's going to happen at the rapture. At the rapture, Jesus is going to come for us and he's going to take us to New Jerusalem. And we see the details of that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. That's that's our destiny. New Jerusalem, our heavenly home. But, you know, even now we're citizens of heaven. You know, that's exactly what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have a dual citizenship. We are American citizens. We are citizens of the USA, but also we're citizens of heaven, which is far greater than that. We're to be good citizens down here, but our greatest loyalty is to King Jesus because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, of heaven. Notice we are told specifically who will populate this new Jerusalem, our heavenly home. One thing I just love about the Bible, I mean, it it just tells us everything God wants us to know about heaven and and here we see who will populate heaven here we will see who will populate new jerusalem who we will spend eternity with i'd like to know who we will spend eternity with and i believe you do too let's see who who it is first to an innumerable angels to an innumerable number of angels angels will be there There will be innumerable number of angels in heaven. Of course, we know angels are everywhere. They're all around us all the time, invisible and unseen. You know, if God could somehow open our spiritual eyes, we would be able to see the reality of what is around us. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we, we are told that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And, and that's us. We're the ones who will inherit salvation in its fullest. He's talking about Christians, uh, believers. That's us. And angels are sent to minister to us, to help us. However, the greatest ministry of angels is the worship of God, the worship of God. When we get to heaven, we will see the angels doing what they were created to do. And we will join them in worshiping God before his throne. 
One of the greatest scenes in heaven is found in Revelation chapter 5, and I just want to read that passage uh, to you. Revelation chapter 5, it says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many, what? Many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth. Man, we're, we're there. Okay, this is a picture of what we will be doing in heaven. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and did what? Worshiped. Oh, my friend, heaven is a continual place of worship in heaven we will be worshiping with the angels we'll be worshiping with the angels i believe we need to spend more time worshiping down here because that's what we will be doing up there we will be worshiping and the bible says worship is what pleases god i think about what jesus told the woman at the well the samaritan woman that God is seeking, notice, God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. God is seeking people to worship him. I believe that's the main reason God saves anyone. It's not for us, it's for him. Because God wants worshipers who will give him glory and the honor he deserves. You know, we call this a worship service. And I'm preaching to myself as, as well as, as to you. We call this a worship service, but are we really worshiping? Are we really worshiping? We sing the great hymns of the faith like we sang just a few minutes ago, but are we just repeating familiar words? Are we really worshiping? Are we really worshiping? You know, Jesus said to the religious crowd in his day, and I believe he is saying the same thing to the church crowd today in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18, verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me. You know, that's not worship. In fact, God hates vain empty worship he hates it true worship comes from the heart uh, let me just read something that i read from john piper and i think he he describes the essence of worship really well here listen let this sink in the inner essence of worship is to know god truly you've got to know god You've got to have that relationship with God. You've got to know him experientially as well. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with a God above all earthly things. Then he goes on. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in acts of praise, 
from the lips and acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. And that's beautiful. That's, that's what worship is. And, and, you know, when we come together, we are to worship. We are to give worth and value to God. We are to get our minds off of ourselves and get our minds on God and truly worship him. Who else will be in heaven? Angels. But notice what else it says. And to the assembly of the firstborn, that is the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven. Uh, I believe that refers to the church. Believers from Pentecost to the rapture. It's talking about the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, made up of all believers everywhere. (laughs) In heaven, God's family will be together for all eternity. Now, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice the ones who will make it to heaven are those who are enrolled in heaven. Do you see that? They're enrolled in heaven. You must be on God's roll. You must be in God's roll book. Your name must be written in the Lamb's book of life. And the question I ask, are you enrolled? Are you enrolled? As we've already sung, when the roll is called up yonder, will you be there? Will you be there? You say, well, how do we get our name in the Lamb's book of life? By repenting of our sins and turning to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Putting our trust and our faith in Him. Have you done that? You will not see heaven any other way. You will not see heaven any other way because there's no other way. Religion won't do it. Churchianity won't do it. Good works won't do it. Only Jesus will get you there. Notice who else will be in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, God is going to be there. I love Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Don't you see how the Bible just agrees with itself? Hebrews speaks of New Jerusalem. Revelation is speaking of New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling, of, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, that is God, will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God is going to be there. And God is seen as the judge of all. Back in Hebrews 9, 27 of Hebrews, we read that just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that judgment comes. So God is the judge, and judgment is coming. In spite of what the world is saying, judgment is coming, and it's coming upon all. That's right. All the lost will stand before the great white throne judgment and be cast into the lake of fire. It's going to happen. And it might happen to some of your friends, your loved ones, your family members that you love dearly. It might might happen to that neighbor who lives next to you. It's going to happen. The lost will be cast into the lake of fire. They will stand before the great white throne judgment. And all Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged, not for our sins, because Jesus 
was judged for our sins, but we will have to give an account of our Christian lives to him. And either we will receive reward or we will lose reward, the Bible says. Yes, God will be there. Notice who else will be there. And to the spirits of righteous, of the righteous made perfect. I believe this refers to the Old Testament saints. Those who lived before Christ. Those who had put their faith in the true and the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And those who were looking forward to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who else will be there? And to Jesus. Don't you love that? And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Yes, Jesus is there. The one thing that will make heaven heaven more than anything else is Jesus is there. Yes, I believe that heaven will have streets of gold. I believe that there will be pearly gates. Yes, I believe that there will be a crystal sea. But what will make heaven heaven is that Jesus will be there. And we see that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus is the one who brings us to God. Jesus is the one who brings us into this right relationship with God. We cannot have a relationship with God apart from Jesus. He is the one that brings us together. The cross of Jesus is the one who brings us to God. And it says, in the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. Through Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, we have forgiveness the forgiveness of sins. And what a contrast here that we see between Abel's blood and Jesus' blood. I want you to see that. What a contrast between Abel's blood that we talked about in, in, in chapter 11. What a contrast between Abel's blood and Jesus' blood. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance and judgment, for justice to be satisfied. But Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness, for forgiveness. By the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross, God's righteous judgment has been satisfied, which makes it possible for God to reach out in grace and save sinners, all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What happened on Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, cannot bring forgiveness. It wasn't intended to. We can only find forgiveness by coming to Mount Zion. (laughs) Only by coming to Mount Zion. The law served its good purpose, showing that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, but it has no power to save. It has no power to forgive. To run and work, the law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. It's the gospel that does what the law could not do, that cannot do. The gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel brings salvation. Sadly, a lot of Christians are trying to live their lives on Mount Sinai. Trying to live their lives on Mount Sinai. Sadly, you know, they're, they're trying to earn God's favor. And we call that legalism, legalism. You know, it goes like this. If I do good, 
God will love me. Oh, God will be so happy when I do good. If I don't do good, he won't love me. That's, that's legalism. A lot, of, a lot of Christians are trying to live on Mount Sinai by trying to earn God's favor. But our relationship with God is not based on our performance. Your relationship with God is based on what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. God doesn't want us to live on Mount Sinai. He wants us to live on Mount Zion. He wants us to recognize that our standing with God is based solely on our relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Not because of what you do or how you perform. But God loves you because of who you are in Jesus Christ. You cannot do anything to make God love you anymore. You cannot do anything to make God love you any less. I'm telling you, Christians, if we would let that truth sink down into our hearts and really believe it, it will transform our lives and our walk with Christ. It will. You see, if we live on Mount Zion, it will change our lives. Let's see how the author of Hebrews concludes in verse 25 and following. Let's see what it says in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. God is speaking us to us today through his word. We know that. And what do we do when God speaks to us through his word? We need to what? We need to listen. And we need to hear what he is saying to us. And we, we need to obey that. Well, God spoke to the children of Israel on earth, and they did not listen. And and as a result, an entire nation, an entire generation that left Egypt died in the wilderness because they rejected what God said on Mount Sinai. How much greater will the consequences be for us if we reject what God is saying to us today from heaven? See, Israel missed God's rest. That's what we talked about it early in Hebrews. They, they missed God's rest. They, they missed the blessing of entering the promised land. How tragic it would be for us not to experience all the blessings that God has for us in Christ. How tragic. Because God's blessings come by obedience. I'll say God's salvation comes by grace, but God's blessings come to us. By obeying God and doing what he commands. Look at verse 26. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Well, God shook the earth on Mount Sinai. But God says that he's going to shake not only the earth, but the heavens. 
And I believe that this is talking about the destruction of the present heavens and earth and the creation of the new heaven and earth and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. I think that's what it means. And see, the kingdoms of this world will be shaken, but God's kingdom cannot be shaken. Now, have you noticed that there's a lot of shaking going on today? All you have to do is just pick up the newspaper and there it is, or turn on the nightly news or any cable you know, station, and you're just bombarded with the fact that a lot of shaking is going on, whether it's COVID or the debacle in Afghanistan or the earthquake in Haiti or the hurricane that's about to hit the Gulf Coast. There's a lot of shaking going on. And I believe God is trying to get the world's attention. Maybe God's trying to get your attention. One day God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, and he's going to make all things new, the Bible says. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth founded on King Jesus. I love that old hymn, Jesus shall reign where the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretched from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Yes, Jesus shall reign. His kingdom is coming. What is founded on Jesus will stand. What is not founded on Jesus will not stand. If your life is founded on Jesus, it will stand. If your life is not founded on Jesus, it will not stand. Let me ask you, is your life founded on Jesus? Is your marriage founded on Jesus? Is your relationships founded on Jesus? You know, I love that parable of Jesus, of the man who built his house on the sand. And the winds and the floods came, and the man's house did not stand. But the man who built his house on the solid rock, when the winds and the floods came, the man's house stood because it was built on the rock. Folks, Jesus is that solid rock upon which we are to build our lives, upon which we are to build our marriages, upon which we are to build our families, upon which we are to build our church, upon which we are to build our relationships. Jesus is that solid rock. In Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And my friend, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, you are standing on sinking sand because it's not going to work for you or anybody. You've got to put your trust in the solid rock of Jesus Christ, putting your trust in him alone. And if you do that, you will stand on a rock. And that doesn't mean bad times won't happen. They will. But Jesus, the solid rock, will be with us all the time and all the way. Let's pray together.